Amen. Well, my name is Chris, and I, uh, I'm from Pikeville, and, uh, or we say Pikeville, right? Uh, but but I, I'm from up there, me and, me and my wife, and let me tell you what just happened was amazing. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for about 28 years now. Uh, one day I'll grow out of it, I'm not sure. But, but I've been for about 28 years up in that area, and, and uh, what happened was I just got transformed back. Like, I'm emotional what just happened because I got transformed back to whenever I was first trying to figure out youth ministry. And, and, and those songs were the bedrock of what helped me get going. Man, just here for the praise team this morning, right? They're over there jamming, I'm crying, you know. I'm like, this is great. Well, I'm thankful to be here, and I just want to take just a second and tell you just a little bit about who I am. As I said, uh, I'm a youth pastor from, from up in Pikeville, and I'm at New Beginnings Fellowship Church there on Main Street downtown, and I was at the Methodist Church for many, many years, and, and God moved, and, and so I went over there. Uh, I've got my, my lovely wife here. I think we got a picture of my family. We can, there we go. Look at that. Uh, so, see, I'm the ugly one in our family. Uh, the, uh, uh, so, so my, my lovely wife, we have a daughter, Abigail. She's the youngest. She's the princess, right? And so she's at Moorhead State, and then uh, uh, she's the one beside me. The one in the middle is, is the, the middle child. His name's Caden, and he's at the University of Kentucky. And, and then there's Devin over there next to my wife, and uh, he's also at Moorhead State. And so that's our family, and then it's just, uh, it's funny how God brought us all together and, and what he's doing in our lives, uh, and, and the things that he's going to be doing through our kids. And so we just ask you to pray for them, pray for us, right? Uh, raising young adults is different, and so we're trying to figure that out. It's the first time we've been empty nest um, in, in forever, I mean, like, so, so we're figured she's, I got to see if she still likes me, right? She's got to see if she still likes me. But, but anyway, that's just a little bit about who I am. And, and so before we uh, journey into this text today, I want you to journey with me. I've, like I say, I've, I've been a youth pastor for a long time, and, and I've done stuff with, with the medical school and with the college, with elementary kids. I mean, just all gamuts of life. And so on the medical school side of things, I used to go on their mission trips all the time. And so I want you to journey with me for just a minute on a couple of the, of the mission trips that I've been on. What happened was, really transformed the way I saw things, there was a collision of urgent physical needs and urgent spiritual needs. So an urgent physical need. The people there uh, are, are in so much need. You just look around and, and you can see um, they don't have control of their own electricity they don't have um, basic needs, running water, those kind of things. You just get just a, just a minute away from the resorts, and things are different there. So imagine spending significant time with children who are elementary age, whose only meal in a 24-hour span would be a single measured bowl of rice. Um, they would mix it with spaghetti, some tomatoes because uh, we had brought some, 
but they would have rice and beans and some kind of noodles usually. And that was the only meal they would have throughout a 24-hour span. And then they would show back up the next day for lunch and eat again. Kids would show up to this feeding center, usually wearing nothing but maybe basketball shorts or a T-shirt. All they had. The leading cause of death in children in this village where we were was diarrhea and simple infection. We can get an over-the-counter antibiotic to take care of uh, what was killing people there. Total poverty is rampant. And I truly encountered the people that my mother was telling me about when I was a kid that she would say, there's people that would love to come eat this, right? Urgent physical needs. We see it. And we respond to it. Urgent spiritual needs. Um, This island also houses several witch doctors. And they, this is one of the witch doctors' homes. It was just down the street from where we were staying. And they prey on those who are poverty stricken. They prey on those families who are just looking for hope. They set up shop in these kind of villages. And for a fee, they're going to call on a spirit or a demon to try to come and and work with you. It's pure evil. I experienced a witch doctor one night praying against our team. We stayed in a cinder block building. And for the windows, they had staggered holes, you know, and let a little breeze come through. And so one night, we're laying there, and we could hear some kind of commotion outside. So I went over and looked through the little hole And he had built a fire and was praying against the work that our team was done. And I stood there and I watched and I knew in an instant that spiritual warfare was real. You know, our primary goal on this trip, we had a medical team with us. And so they did see a doctor and they did get vitamins and they were taken care of on that side. But our main goal was to share the gospel. But most had hardly even heard of Jesus. When you would talk about them, they would look at you with this kind of puzzled look as if you were talking about somebody far off place. So this collision of needs was very evident in the faces of those people. And I think about the faces of some of those that I got to encounter. One was a paralyzed man. He walked on his knuckles because his legs no longer moved because he was cut by a piece of of stalk from a a sugar cane and he got infected and and he couldn't get the simple antibiotic to take care of himself for the rest of his life. He walks on his knuckles. He, He had never heard the name of Jesus, but yet he's dying more and more and more every day. Think about the look of a mother's face who heard that there were people in this village who were praying to a God of authority whose baby had meningitis. And he hung lifeless in her arms as she approached us for us to pray over this child. She had never heard of Jesus, but she was desperate and needed hope. I'm asking you, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to bring them both the physical healing that they need and the spiritual healing. We see similar needs as we walk through the hallways of the schools that I visit. I remember the pain of a child. See, our, our youth group would do these backpack 
things for the weekend and what it was, just a small container of food, you know, in a, like a Walmart bag or a Food City bag or something. And, and it would be just some food and, and the teachers would drop it into the backpacks before they would go home on the weekend. And so one day I was at a school and I was unloading from my little Tupperware thing that I brought and I was, I was unloading it into the one in the office. And you ever feel somebody looking at you? Like, you know, like, you're like, somebody's looking at me. And, and so I look up, and there's this child just standing just as far as the guitars, you know, about this big. And I said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm good. He said, you bring all that food? And I say, well, I don't bring all the food. We bring some. He said, well, thank you. And I said, well, you're welcome. He said, you know my mom works hard. But there's sometimes that we don't have enough, and this is all we have. I'll never forget that encounter. It's been almost 10 years ago that that happened. To look into the eyes of the teenager that's being sent to reform school. Because home is chaos. Parents' dependency on drugs and alcohol has just come manifest in this kid's life. The only consistent thing that he knows is... He may not have dinner. And the trouble he's getting into each and every day is multiplying. And everybody just says that's his lot in life. That's all he's ever going to be. Look at where he comes from. So he feels powerless. He feels like he doesn't have hope. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this collision of urgent physical needs and urgent spiritual needs? Do we just simply tell him about Jesus? What if they're starving? Well, we would do anything to bring a child some food or to take food to our neighbor that we knew was hungry. We would tear down all the walls to get them that. If they needed shoes or medicine, we would do anything to help change the reality that a person is doing without. We had a teacher tell us a story of a child who ate dry macaroni on the ride home home from school a couple of years ago because they were afraid and they were so hungry but they were afraid that whenever they got home somebody else would take it from them this is the reality that we live in it's one thing to think about evangelism in the confines of us here today but 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 it's another when we wrestle with theology, as we look into the face of a family who's living in a homeless shelter and are just trying to put their life back together. The reality is, is that, that, that things don't just happen somewhere else. They happen here. They happen here, and we as a community of believers have a call and a responsibility, and we are doing great things. This church, I hear all kinds of things about what you are doing, and you're doing great things to make a change in people's lives. This collision is real, and we live in the middle of it. So we're surrounded by physical and spiritual needs each and every day. And that's why uh, Mark 2 is, is completely applicable to, to our situation today. I think we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do to get someone to Jesus? Everybody here knows somebody who needs the healing power and the freedom that can only be delivered through the, the, the message of Jesus Christ through his life, death, resurrection. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to offer that to them? 
So our passage this morning is Mark 2, 1 through 11. It's a familiar story about four men who were willing to do whatever they could to get their friend to Jesus. So let's hear this story. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men come, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening through the roof above Jesus by digging through it, then lowered the mat that the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So I'm part of this group, and it's an international group, and it's called Gospel Advancing Ministries. And part of what we talk about is this story is the epicenter of that. It's the epicenter because... These guys were willing to do anything they could to get their friend to Jesus. And so part of what we do as a youth ministry is we train and equip our students to go and share the gospel. Because sometimes that's the only Jesus that people will encounter. And we've watched teens get transformed. We've watched homes come alive. We've watched marriages be restored because these kids are sharing the gospel. So let's think about this situation. Here's Jesus teaching in a house, and it's so crowded that nobody else can get in. Think the line at Hillbilly Days for the funnel cake, right? Here's the other side of that. So, so here's this crowd that had gathered, and we try so hard to fit into the crowd. We do everything we can to be part of a crowd. We want to be accepted by people. We want to be in the in-group. We want to be part of this crowd. But here we see the crowd is in the way. And you see that in a few more stories in the Bible. Don't be part of a crowd when you're born to stand out. But these four guys, they have this friend who is in need. He's paralyzed. And they're going to do anything they can to get their friend to Jesus. So what do they do? They dig a hole through the roof and they, and they realize that it's worth the trouble. It was worth the trouble because Jesus could heal him both physically and spiritually. These men were so convinced that they were willing to do, they were willing to go the extra mile to get their friend to Jesus. What are you willing to do to reach people with the gospel? 
think about a boy who's in our youth group right now. His name's Court. He is constantly telling people about Jesus and inviting them to youth group. Now, listen, he doesn't just invite them to our youth group. He's like, hey, go anywhere you can. I just want to see you going somewhere. And he does this over and over and over. And he is often ridiculed by people and made fun of. But you know what? He doesn't quit. He never quits. Each week in our prayer time, he asks for us to be praying for the people that he's going to invite to Jesus. This is a high school boy. He's not afraid to put his, his social image at risk in order to get other people to come to Jesus. I think we need to be reminded of the urgency of getting this message out to others, especially those people who are close to us, those people who, who dwell in our proximity each and every day. So many times it's about Bible studies and about meetings and about all those things. I used to go to a church. We had a meeting to get ready for the big meeting. And then after the big meeting, we'd have a small meeting to try to make the next big meeting better again, right? But it becomes about those things. And, 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 and so we miss what's right in front of us. All the while, the world is right there, and they're in dire straits needing this gospel of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, we had a Sunday school class, a curriculum thing we went through, and it was about six weeks long, and it was all about evangelism and how to share the gospel. And each day, each week, we would go through a different point and a different thing, and we'd wrestle with theology, and we'd take time and practice sharing the gospel, and we'd talk about asking questions and all these different things. And, and, uh, and we had this in-between week because the next curriculum didn't start for another week. And so we had this in-between week. And so we show up and we're like, all right, do you guys remember what we talked about? Does everybody got how to share the gospel? And it was like 10 kids there. And they're like, yeah, we got this. And I'm like, all right. So let's review. And we reviewed for just a couple of minutes. And, and, and we said, you got it. And they're like, yes, we got it. And so we said, all right, let's go get in the church van. And so this is in the middle of Sunday school. We go get in the church van. We go to Walmart in Pikeville. And we say, all right, we're going to break up in teams of three. We're going to go share the gospel. And they did. And for about 25 or 30 minutes, they shared the gospel and prayed with people. And, and, and then we come back and we got back in the van and we come back to church. And they were so excited to talk about the things they experienced. But they weren't all positive. But it challenged them. They had people say, I don't need prayer. I'm good. I'm good. The people you need are over here. But it challenged them. And, 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 and it wasn't something that was abstract or on paper. It was real people with real faces, with a real life, and with real consequences. It lit a fire inside of them and inside of us, and we've not turned back. We constantly challenge our students to share the gospel everywhere they are. And we think students lead others to Jesus because they are bold and they're willing to do whatever they can, anything they can to get people to come to Jesus. My wife often says, invite them to Jesus, they'll find a good church. Inviting people to church and inviting people to Jesus are two different things. Think about Olivia, one of our students from many years ago. One night, my wife was giving her a ride home, and with tears falling off her cheeks, she said, pray for me. When I go in, I'm going to tell my dad about Jesus. 
Joe showed up to church a couple weeks later, and he's been one of our best volunteers ever since. Jesus changes lives. And I wonder, what if I was like that? I mean, what if we were like that? What, what, if, what if we really went out and told our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and, and the people around us about the true power of Jesus Christ? Is it worth the trouble? I promise it's worth the risk that we're going to put out there. And sometimes we read through these stories and we really don't think them through. I mean, this was a huge risk. Think about these four guys climbing up onto the roof, right? And they cut a hole into the roof. Like, we passed that up pretty quick, you know? But they cut a hole into the roof just to get their friend uh, to Jesus. If that was my house, <laughs> I'd be like, what's going on here? But, but I did a little bit of research about the roofs. Uh, the ancient roofs, and they were about a foot and a half to two feet thick. The top was about two to four inches of just hard clay, so it wasn't like they come up and moved a few leaves. I mean, they had to do some work to get their friend to Jesus. Could you imagine being in that room, part of that crowd? As the, all of a sudden, uh, these people are digging through the roof, and you just hear this chaos happening up there. Debris falling into the room as, as, uh, as Jesus is speaking. I think about that, and, and, and you think maybe a cell phone going off is distracting. But, but, but this is a roof being torn open. One scholar estimates that it, that it could took up, up to about 30 minutes for him to dig a hole through that roof. Then after all that chaos, a mat is lowered down into the room, Right in front of Jesus and right in the middle of it is this paralyzed man. Can you imagine the feeling in that room? Can you imagine what that moment was like? I think it's interesting that, that Mark doesn't record a single word that is spoken by this man. Or, or even his friends that brought him, uh, who worked so hard to get him there. Not one word is recorded by them. I imagine Jesus, he looks at this man, and then he peers up through the hole in the roof, and he looks in the face of the friends. I don't know what they look like, but, but here's what I do know. We can assume that they were, they were, they were kind of catching their breath, and they were just looking at Jesus, you know. We don't know exactly what he saw in them, but whatever it was, it was faith. It was faith, and Jesus said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's not what they come to get. It's not what they brought him for, I don't think. I don't think that's what they had in mind as they lowered this guy down. Uh, and it's kind of odd. They didn't ask for that. Uh, but, but, but Jesus had healed other people before, and they knew it. And so they said, we, if we just get our friend to him. But this pronouncement shocks the crowd. This man had sinned. And Jesus had the authority to forgive those sins. This may describe, they, they question in their heart the penalty of blasphemy. And, and, and they started calculating, should this guy be put to death? Now, now while, while the text doesn't say anything that they said out loud, Jesus saw straight into their heart. And he knew they were questioning him. He says, which is easier, to forgive sins 
or to cure paralysis. Then after a pause, he says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you I have the authority to forgive sins. He tells the man, get up and go home. I can't imagine the amazement that went out through the room and eventually probably throughout that town. And I can't imagine the pure delight of these four friends that had worked so hard to get their friend to Jesus. The man stood. He stood up and immediately picked up his bed and ran out of the room. And I think it's kind of funny because the crowd moved and let him out. They wouldn't let him in, but they did let him leave. Can you imagine those friends coming off the roof and celebrating what had happened as they raced home? Probably forgetting that they had had demolished this guy's house. And, And then they speak for the very first time. They say, we have never seen anything like that. They were amazed at the power of Jesus' words. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories. There's stories that we learn as kids from the Bible. There's stories that we tell each other. There's stories that our kids tell us as they come home from school. There's a a lot of stories. But there's only one story that has power. And that's the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. It's the greatest story that has ever been told. And often we never tell it. There's an urgent need in our world today for this story to be told because it has the power to change things. Politicians can't change things. Government programs don't change things. Movements don't change things. They don't have this kind of power. It is the resurrected Christ that can offer an eternal difference and it's our job to take that to the world. This man had an urgent need. His physical need was more than evident. He was paralyzed. But more importantly, this man's spiritual needs were ultimate. The more important thing is that that his, his physical paralysis was there. But more important than that, his spiritual need was eternal. Our ultimate need is never physical. Our ultimate need is always spiritual. In fact, every physical element we have traces back to this spiritual separation from God. It was the very start of pain and suffering. Our major problem is that we are separated from God by sin in a world that is full of suffering. So our ultimate need may not be made, may not be to be made physically whole, but it's to be reconciled back to our Creator. We think I'm a good person. In this story, we see that Jesus has the authority to see into our hearts. Just like he did these scribes. He he sees all the hidden motives. He he, he sees all their secret thoughts, all their sins. And, And we don't want anybody to know about those secret sins now, do we? But not one of us escapes Jesus. Nothing in our life is hidden from his eyes. Jesus has the authority to heal, and I pray that we never lose the awe of Jesus' power to heal, to speak, and paralysis literally disappear. By Jesus' words, things are made different. Jesus speaks, disease is gone. Jesus speaks, demons run. Jesus speaks, even death itself obeys. Jesus has authority to heal our sickness, and let's not ever forget that. Jesus is sovereign. 
And if that's not enough, it gets even better because... Jesus, where's the light? This little light of mine, right? But let's go on, right? And like I said earlier, that our ultimate problem is that we are separated from God by sin in a world that is full, and I mean full of suffering. So our ultimate need is for us to be reconciled to this maker. So what, this is exactly what Jesus come to do. He come to bring us back. There was a chasm that was entered into our lives through sin, and Jesus come to build a bridge. And listen, the scribes were right in this story. Only God can forgive sins. But what they failed to see was God was in the flesh standing right in front of them. Listen, it's the greatest news in all the world. And right now, our world could use some good news. God himself stepped into our world as Jesus Christ. And he bore the pain of death for our sins. But the good news is that he didn't stay dead for long. He defeated it and he rose again. And now he offers that forgiveness for everybody who calls on his name. This is the gospel. And it's the good news for the salvation of the world. When we take the gospel to the world, we go and we explain what Jesus did for them. And that forgiveness is offered to them. What's changed my life can change your life. Then we can say that, that at this point that Jesus has the final word. With these bodies that are wasting away, we can know that not neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor our fears about today or our worries about tomorrow, not death nor anything in creation, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love and the power of Jesus Christ for the salvation of anyone who calls on his name. So for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, you can know that cancer is not going to have the final word. You can know that Parkinson's will not have the final word. You can know that pain will not have the final word. Heart attacks, hospice rooms, hospital beds, they don't have the last word. Not even death itself will have the last word because Jesus Christ defeated death. He has the last word. The good news is not that Jesus will heal you of your sins today, but that Jesus will forgive you of your sins forever. And that's the message we're called to take to the world. So what are we willing to do? What are we willing to do to get this message out to a world that is dying for it? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Because Jesus Christ was willing to do whatever it took to get this message to you. It was just over 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ was in heaven. And he got up. And in a sense, he tore a hole in the floor of heaven and descended down to save us. He was willing to go to the cross for us. He was willing to do whatever it takes to get us. We need to do whatever it takes to do the same, to get the message out to the world, to our friends, to our family, and to the people around us. Maybe you're here right now, 
and you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life. You need to know that that same saving power that came from heaven and transformed me is available to you. I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to miss this minute. If that's where you are, you have an awesome opportunity to place your trust into Jesus Christ for the very first time. There's people in this room that would love to pray with you and pray for you. There's people here right now who would like to take you by the hand and walk through this journey with you. If you've already accepted Jesus in your life, you've been given a mission to take his message to the world. So where can you take it? Where are you going from here that you can take this message? Where are you going to show up tomorrow that you can take this message? Who is it in your life that needs to know about Jesus? Sometimes the hardest place we take it is home. But that's the call. That's the call on our life. That's the call on our life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you with this. Here's a 48-hour challenge. 48-hour challenge. I, I want to challenge you that, 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 that within 48 hours, you tell somebody about Jesus. You tell him about what he's done in your life. You say, I don't know the Bible, Chris. I, I, I don't know all these passages and everything. You don't have to know that. It says the devil is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus on the cross, and the word of our testimony. So go tell him what Jesus has done for you. Tell him that, that he come to save why 48 hours because studies show that that if you do something within the first 48 hours of of being challenged or learning about it uh, you, you probably will continue to do it but if you don't the likelihood of you ever doing it falls to almost zero so who's the person Who's that person in your life that needs to hear this message? And what are you willing to do to take it to them? This is at the heart of what Jesus came to do. I think we got to get back to the core of what, what, what Christ is about. And so here at the end, with that same boldness that Jesus Christ give his disciples, I'm going to tell you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where are you going to go? And who are you going to tell? Father, I pray right now over this crowd that you have commissioned us to take your message to the world, to this the the world that that is so desperate, so desperate for for hope. We see it in the faces of the people that just walk past us in the store. And Father, we carry that. We carry that with us. And so I pray that you give us the opportunity. You give us the courage. You give us the strength and you give us the words to be able to share this message. And Father, I pray right now, if there's somebody here that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they don't wait another minute. I pray that they can feel that transforming grace inside of their life. It's in your name I pray.